What I want us to look at today is the questions of the Jew. And what do I mean by the question of the Jew? But I could tell last week when I was preaching, even on some of your faces, you had the same question that some of these Jews do. We were talking about how the Jew is just like the Gentile in the nature that sin condemns everyone and that God says only through the bloodshed of his son, Jesus, are we saved. So the Jews had some questions and Paul wanted to know and to answer those because Paul being a Jew himself at one time, he was a Pharisee, he knew what their thinking was. He knew that they probably did not like what he was saying and because of that they had some questions because the Jew, if you remember, touted or held to the idea, number one, that they were a Jew. And because of their heritage, they were automatically giving a free pass through judgment. And Paul said, that's not so. Well, the Jew thought because of who they were and because of the law that they got a free pass through. And Paul said, that's not so. So he's beginning to really upset these Jews in his bold approach to saying that it's justification through faith and faith alone and not by our works. And we can look at these same questions ourselves to help us understand what it is that Paul's been writing it. What is it that we've now spent the last eight weeks pretty much looking at? These eight weeks that we've spent in Romans has been talking about, first of all, who Paul was and the gospel message that he wanted to preach in that gospel message saying that there are sinners, that everyone is a sinner and that we cannot just live life like we want to because God forgives and say that everything's fine. That's what we're going to begin looking at. And he wanted the Israel, the Jews to understand that they were not saved through the Israel law. The law did not save them. Their circumcision did not save them, and their birth in their heritage did not save them. So he's going to take them through because he knew their thinking like his and had questions, and that's what he wants to present to us today. If you will take your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Once you've turned there, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul writing this letter to the church in Rome, and it reads this. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then, if some did not believe their unbelief, will nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true through every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. May it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, 
as we are slanderously reported and some claim that we say, let us do evil that God may come. Their condemnation is just. Father God, thank you for your word. Well, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today and that through Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand, Lord, what it is that you have for us. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The questions of the Jew. We're going to look at a, a series of questions, and if you'll actually notice in your Bible the way that it's numbered out, the odd verses present a question, and the even verses answer those questions. Very interesting how that's laid out, but Paul being who Paul is and under the direction of the Holy Spirit knows the best way to give us the information. So the first question the Jew had is to what advantage is there to being a Jew? The Jews have understood that they were God's chosen people. God chose them out of all of the other nations, being the smallest nation. God chose them to be Jews. He chose them to be his children. So they have a question and they want to present, as Paul is presenting it here, if, if you're saying that we're sinners and that we're not going to get a free pass and that we're going to be judged like everyone else, then what benefit is it to being a Jew? What benefit is it that we've gone through this circumcision? What benefit is it that we're trying to keep this law? Is there any benefit to that? And, of course, Paul being who he is, he wants them to understand that, yes, there is a benefit to being a Jew, but it is not a free pass past judgment. All who sin are going to be judged according to God's law. But what does he say there at verse 2 when he asks the question and then he answers, great in every respect, First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. He wants them to understand, and there are many more. And over in chapter 11, when we get there, we'll talk of more things. But Paul wanted them to understand the main thing, the important thing it is, and the advantage of being a Jew is that God chose you to be the nation of people that he would speak through and he would speak to the prophets that God would use were these Jews. They were given God's law. They were given the Old Testament. They were, as we might say today, stewards of the law. I mean, what a privilege. A Gentile cannot claim that. I mean, we have God's Bible now, but for the Jew, he's like, think about it. God picked you to be the one he's going to give his word to. You as a Jew are the one that God is giving his law. You are to keep it, and you're the ones to pass it down. Let's look over in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. We see this word oracle again when it tells us there that this is the one who is in the congregation. It's Acts 38. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who is speaking to him on Mount Sinai and who was with our fathers, and he received living oracles to pass on to you. It's talking about Moses. 
Moses was the leader of God's chosen people, and I love how he writes it there that it was through him that the God chose to give living oracles to. I want you all to think about that for just a moment. This that we have here, it's not just a record of what God did. It's not just a record of who God was. This that we so proudly hold in our hand, God's holy word, is copy of translation that has been handed down through time, but when God spoke it, it was a living word. And church, let me tell you today, this word is still living. Just because it's printed in black and white and some of ours has some red in it doesn't mean it's a dead. It is still alive today. It still affects people today. It still changes lives. It is such an awesome thing that God spoke these words. They're still living today. But as a Jew, they have all the advantage because they're the ones God chose to give or pass this down through. Just like when we think about a, a family heirloom that's been passed down generation after generation. That heirloom has come from someone who received it, and because they were good stewards of it, they've handed it down from generation. It's been taken care of and handed down to the next generation. And it is still alive, this word that was given to them. So I would say, in my opinion, as a Jew, they had a very profound advantage because they were the ones that received the word. They're the ones that had to be stewards of the word. Well, of course, when he begins to give this main question and give the answers that there is an advantage, the Jews then, because they don't like being told that they're not special in the sense of judgment, just like many of us, when we get in trouble, we can come up with every question under the sun to try to justify what we think it is. So we move on from that question, and then he presents it basically this way, is God faithful? What the Jew is talking about there, is God faithful? Look at verse 3. It says, what then if some did not believe? Their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Since some did not believe, the Jews that he's writing to right here in Rome knew that yet they had the advantage of the word being given to them, being stewards of that word. They knew that many in their past failed as good stewards. God gave them all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. What were those prophecies? It was what does God expect that there's sin, but that there's deliverance and that he is sending a Messiah, that Messiah would be his son. Do you know who it was that put Jesus on the cross? It was the Jews. Yet they had the word, so they knew. So maybe, I don't know, maybe they were feeling a little guilty. You know, because we wasn't faithful with it. We didn't handle it correctly. We didn't use it the way that you told us to. We acted in ignorance. 
and didn't understand that, does our unbelief nullify the faithfulness of God? God's Old Testament said how he was faithful. It said that God was going to provide that way and that God is true to his word, that he is sending a Messiah. He sent the Messiah, so because they didn't believe it, does that nullify it? He's saying no, by, by no means. He says there, because of your unfaithfulness doesn't change who God is. Look at verse 4. It says, may it never be. If you have the King James, it says, God forbid. If you have the Christian standard, it's absolutely not. We might could say it this way today. Don't even think that. I can hear him. It's a, a term that's used in shock and disgust. Can you hear in Paul's tone the answer to the question, because I was unbelieving, does that mean God is unfaithful? No, not at all. Don't even think it. Throw it out of your mind. You know, God does not operate on who God is based upon how we act. Do you know that? God sent his son, and he sent his son for anyone who will willingly confess him as Lord and Savior. Even the Jew who crucified Christ on the cross, if they were to repent, God would forgive them. And I'm so glad he did because you know it wasn't only the Jew that crucified Jesus on that cross. Do you know every time that hammer came down on that nail... I was one of the ones swinging the hammer. But you know what? You were too. All of us have sinned. It's our sin that put Jesus on that cross because of God's faithfulness to his people. He made a covenant with the Jews. He's made a covenant with us that he will never leave us nor forsake us that we become in right standing with him through what happened on that cross. God is faithful to himself regardless of our working or how the world works around him. You know, if this whole world that we live in today were to turn their back on God and say there is no God or to even come to the point of saying we know there's a God, we don't care. Do you know God is still going to be faithful to who God is? God is still going to love them while they might go through judgment. That judgment is his love because he's righteous. He's provided a way for all people. Even if people reject this word. You know, today in our culture, the best I can tell, the majority of our people are rejecting the truth of what's right here. Would you all agree with that? Our culture says there is no truth. You know what culture says? What's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. Don't take what you think and apply it to me. But for some reason, they think they can take what they think is truth and apply it to us. I mean, that's hypocrisy right there. But regardless if people believe it or not, there is one absolute truth, and that is Jesus Christ, because he is the truth. 
He is the only way. And regardless of what people think, this is truth. And regardless if people reject it, it's still truth. And they will be judged according to that truth. Look at Psalm 51, verse 4. Psalm 51, verse 4. And we see here, against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. God's not at fault when he judges. God is not unrighteous. God is not unjust. He has portrayed it all out. He has given it, and he has even so much provided the way. So how can he be the one that is unjust? Well, let's look at one more question Does our unrighteousness help God? Now, what kind of question is that? But here's what the Jew, the Jew would have asked this question. Let's look there back in Romans chapter 3, verse 5. There's that odd number. We get our question. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. Does our unrighteousness help God? What they're getting at here is God is righteous in his forgiveness. So if maybe we could take it this way that if I sin, then I need forgiveness. So if I sin, I'm helping God be righteous. You see how you can quickly go off on the wrong direction with some questions? Let me phrase it to you a couple of different ways that I read when studying. If my unfaithfulness causes God's faithfulness to be set in bold-faced type, is not my sin, by contrast, enhancing the world's concept of the absolute holiness and faithfulness of God? You see, God is faithful to forgive regardless if I sin. Or as I sin, because I'm a believer, God's going to forgive me. So we can help the whole world understand this. Let me go out and sin and then let God forgive me so the world understands it. You think it works that way? Let's listen to it this way. Gentleman by the name of Alva J. McLean. If our unrighteousness makes clearer the righteousness of God, he would be unrighteous to take vengeance on us. Now I think they've gone a step further. If me sinning shows people that God is righteous and that God is good, then who is God to judge me for sinning since I'm helping him display his glory? How quick we can begin to justify what it is that we're doing because we want it to look right. Or we can take it and change it anyway. And then he says there that I'm speaking in human terms. What he's not saying is this is not divine words. What he's saying is I'm trying to explain it to you in the way that we understand it. He's not saying that it's not revelation. But what he's saying is God's judgment cannot be called into question because he's God. I mean, basically, they're questioning God's judgment right here. I don't know about you, but let me tell you, I don't want to be in the seat of the one questioning God. 
But these Jews, in thinking that they're mighty because they're God's chosen people, are basically questioning God of how can you judge me through sin if sin shows that you're faithful and that you're righteous. We can take Scripture very easily, church, and twist it to try to make it be what we want it to be. And they were working on that. And once again, in verse 6, he gives us that, may it never be, or not so, throw it out. He says that God has a right to judge. Because of who God is, he has that right. But they take that question, and he took it with them. Now, I want you to think about this. Hear me clear so you can follow me through on this. They're saying that because God is holy and righteous, the only way to show that is by sinning and showing that God is righteous because we've sinned and he has forgiven us so that our sin is then okay. But Paul turns the table with them with their thinking. Look there at verse 7. says, but if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? Paul has been accused of by the Jews and has been trampled on so much because he preaches one thing, faith through justification. And faith is the only way to salvation. You see, the Jews held to... They were saved. They were going to pass judgment because of who they were, because of their birth, because they had the law, because they had circumcision. And since you can imagine these high Jews are holding to this, and Paul's coming through and he's condemning them and saying, it's got nothing to do with you. It's got nothing to do with your works, no matter how good or how bad you are. It only has to do with one thing, and that's the love of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross his burial and his resurrection is the only thing that will get you to heaven. The only thing to pass you through judgment is God's unfailing love and righteousness on the believer through faith and through faith alone. So he's saying, if you're persecuting me for that and you say that it's wrong, that it's not through that, that what I'm doing is a lie, then why are you judging me as a sinner? Do you see that? They wanted to hold to the lie, and because they could sin, God would forgive them. They were not sinners. Paul's saying, then, why are you saying that this is a lie, but yet you still judge me for it? Not only have they twisted the Scripture, but there they have that same hypocrite view that we do. It's okay for us to justify through what we've done, But Paul, what you've done, and we're going to condemn you for it regardless, even though in their words, he's doing the exact same thing they were. So according to the Jews' logic, Paul should be a saint. If they hold to that the lie is okay, Paul should be a saint. The Jews argued that Paul was teaching the lie. What lie was he teaching? Verse 8. Let us do evil that good may come. Now, church, let me just pause there just a moment. Have you ever 
in your entire life known of good coming out of evil? Evil doesn't produce good. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and I'll go ahead and answer that for you. God can take any situation, and he can bring good out of it. But that evil did not create good. What does God tell us? Apples produces apples. Oranges produces oranges. Pears produce pears. Guess what? Humans produce humans. Animals produce animals. Each kind of their own kind. It's how nature operates. So evil cannot produce good, but they're saying there, let us do evil that may good may come from it. The Jewish practiced religion as merely a matter of keeping the law. But we know that no one can keep the law perfectly. Paul's emphasis on justification by faith indeed seemed to make the law and its keeping superficial. The Jew, as we talk about sometimes, he got his tie on. He's got it all the way up tight. He's got that chest puffed out. I have the law, and the law is going to get me to heaven. He doesn't understand he hadn't failed it all the way. But if Paul comes in and says, the law is there so that you know that you've fallen, and the only way to Christ is, the only way to God is through Christ, he just took that big puffed-up chest that that Jew had. You ever seen them magic tricks where they take that balloon and they blow it up and then they have that big old long needle? That's what Paul just had. He just went right there in that chest and it all went out because it's not about their works. So they're saying if it's not about keeping the law and it's not about my works, then let me just do whatever. And that's not a bit what he's saying. Church, don't ever hear me or anyone else tell you that because you're a born-again believer, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and all your sins are forgiven. You can keep living like a hellion and doing all the sin you want. Big mistake. Scary place to be. I will tell you, I will believe that if a person is a true born-again believer, in their heart, they're going to want to do what is right. They're going to want to do the best that they can. But if for some reason Satan gets in there and he begins to warp that mind and that believer is continuing to live in unforgiveness, he's continuing to live a life of sin and he refuses to allow God to touch him because his heart has grown so hard, do I believe if he is a true believer that God will be faithful and he will still go to heaven? Yes, but I truly believe he'll be there a lot quicker than the rest of us will. Because if you get to that point in your life, God will just go on and remove you and take you home. God is faithful. Now, it's very hard for me to believe that a believer would live like that, but there are some that have, and I truly believe God will just go on and take you home. Because no matter what you do, God is faithful. No matter what questions you have, we can find answers in God's word, but God is faithful. Just as Paul teaches of justification by faith alone, never meant that we can just live whichever way we want. But he is faithful, and he will love us all the way to the end. 
God does love the Jew. But because of his love and who he is, he is required to judge. But we also know that he's not finished with them yet. There are advantages of being a Jew that some Gentiles will never have. We're going to talk more about those later. But Paul wanted them to understand that even though you are a Jew, there is still sin in your life and you will be judged just like everyone else. Do you know what that did for the Jew? I mean, it just really, like I said a while ago, it busts his bubble. It took him all the way. He thought how great he was because he was God's chosen, but he does not get a pass through judgment just because he's a Jew. Just because God forgives does not give us the right today to go about and freely do evil. I have heard it. It's talked in other places in Scripture that people believe that. They believe because I am forgiven, I can do whatever I want. Please don't. God's word says that we're to live holy. You know, when we become in right standing with him, when we become justified with God, we get a, what does it talk about, a new nature. We're transformed. Let me put it to you this way in getting ready to close here. If you can still live your life today the same way you did before your conversion experience, I would say you need to question your conversion experience because it changes a person. No, we're never going to be perfect, but we shouldn't just want to go on and sin and not let it bother us. We shouldn't want to, to just sin so that God can forgive us. We should want to serve him, to understand that he loves us. You know, children, they take their time as they grow up and they go through a rebellious state. And we still have to hold our hand on to those children. We still love those children. And you know, in the long run, our children love us for that. But eventually our children do come around because they care about the love that you have for them. They care about the love that's provided for them. That's what we are. When we come in a right standing with Christ, we become heirship with Jesus Christ. We become a son of the living high God. And we should be holy and we should be set apart. So the Jew had to question what benefit or is there any to being a Jew? So the question for you today, is there any advantage to being a Christian? If we still sin, is there any advantage to it? Yes, there is. Just like the Jew, we have God's living word and we are to be good stewards of it, and we are to pass it on to others. But as a Christian, 
we pass the condemnation judgment seat and we move on to the Bema judgment seat where we're given our rewards. There's an advantage because we're loved by God and he will hold us close. He will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. There are many advantages to being a Christian. But remember, don't take that and use it for your advantage. There's no advantage to the sea on our chest. There is an advantage to Christ in our hearts, and that's what changes things. May you bow your heads. Father God, your word very clearly portrays to us today, Lord, that everyone, regardless, Jew or Gentile, everyone has a destiny to judgment for sin in their life. There is no advantage in that nature for the Jew or the Gentile. The only advantage, Lord, comes for the Christian, the true Christian at heart that has confessed, repented, and called through faith on your Son as Lord and Savior. Father, that then when judgment comes, he has stood in our place. And because he has stood in our place and nothing that we have done, you see us as innocent. Father, regardless of what we do, you will always be faithful. Lord, just as that song, no matter what, we're still your children. Father, would you continue to allow Holy Spirit this morning to speak to hearts? Lord, as we call upon you, Father, I just pray right now that, Father, if there is someone here today that does not know you, as Lord and Savior, that, Father, you will allow them once again a freshness of conviction from Holy Spirit that just empowers them to want to come to you. Father, maybe there's someone here today, Father, who's been living the life that because I'm a believer, I can do whatever I want. Father, would you help them to feel the conviction and allow them through your faithfulness to repent of that? Because, Father, we're not here just to live life any way we want. We put it in submission to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us think about this over the next week. Lord, to understand that we serve you, that we are your children. We are your servants. And Lord, we owe all to you because you gave all to us. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen.